Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Alrighty, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and uh, today being uh, very, very close to Christmas, leading up to Christmas, um, very, very special guest all the way from Los Angeles, California, Mr. Colin Mitchell. No relation. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I think, uh, you know, it was meant to happen. We have the same last name, so. Maybe we're um, maybe we're long lost brothers from a different mother. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Right? <laughs> Who knows? You never know. Awesome. Hey, Colin, really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast. I know this time of year is uh, is really busy, and particularly when we look at your background, you've got a lot of things on your plate right now. And um, currently in a, in a position as a chief evangelist for for Humantech AI, plus a whole host of other uh, other projects on the go. Love to delve into all things sales and sales leadership uh, today, particularly given it's so close to Christmas and for many organizations starting to ramp up for the start of the, for many, the, the calendar year and also the financial year. So um, before we jump into, and look, I've got no idea, we've already talked about this, got no idea where this is going to go, but obviously it's going to be, <laughs> it'll hopefully it'll be some value. Um, yeah. Just for the listeners' benefit. Hopefully. Can... <laughs> well, <laughs> touch wood, touch wood. Um, love to get a bit of a background on the Colin Mitchell story. Um, what's what's yeah. what's been your background, and what's led you to do the stuff you're doing today? Because we'll, we'll delve into some of this as well. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you the short short version here, um, so we can get into some of the good stuff. But uh, my background is I was raised by a single mom. We grew up, you know, poor, uh, and uh, you know, so I didn't have my dad around. I didn't go to college or anything like that because nobody really told me the school is important. So I didn't have a lot of options. You know, typically you hear the story of like, oh, I went to school, thought I was going to do this thing, hated it, so I got a sales job. Right? <laughs> um, for me, it was like. I was like moving furniture, uh, you know, at the age of, you know, 21, um, that was my job. And I was like living check to check. And, uh, so I didn't have a ton of opportunities. Like, you know, sales wasn't necessarily my fallback plan. It was the only door that I had open that was, you know, worth a darn. Uh, so when I got that sales job, my very first sales job, um, I knew it was my way out of not, you know, living a life of check to check and, and that sort of struggle that I, experienced as a kid. Um, so I worked my way up to the top there pretty quickly, um, became the number one rep in about 12 months um, and never really looked back. You know, in the beginning, I, I had a lot of bad habits. You know, I was the typical commission breath salesperson that everybody hates. Um, so some of those things I had to unlearn, you know, and uh, like every, you know, top performer thinks the next best thing is leadership. Um, and my manager at the time was telling me I was going to, you know, be able to manage a team. And they kept telling me that and they weren't doing it. So I got, I got a little frustrated and ended up leaving and taking a, a VP of sales position, um, at a competitor and, uh, drove millions of dollars in revenue there started to, um, you know, get a little more business acumen and, and, and really start to develop people. Um, and I'll be honest, um, you know, I was horrible at it at first, Darren, I, I thought everybody should sell like me. You know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and so you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes uh, in that first you know leadership role, and uh, 
and at the expense of people, right? Um, and so I had to start to develop some new skills. You know, just mm. being a top performer does not mean you're a great sales leader. Um, typically, top performers don't make great sales leaders, and it's still a huge problem today where top performers are being promoted into leadership, and those are vastly different skills. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because and and when you look at the way that organizations are structured, often the only way to get the opportunity to be a sales leader is you've got to be an awesome sales performer. So it's it's yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and 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 typically your B players are your best leaders. Yeah. You know, uh, I found B players make great leaders, um, and <laughs> you know, it, top performers should stay top performers. Like yeah. that's what they they do best, and. It uh, doesn't mean that they can't be leaders, but there's a lot of development and, and things that need to be learned and skills and training um, that has nothing to do with being a top performer to be a great leader. Yeah. And so after after spending some time there, I then started my first company with my wife, and we grew that from from zero to five million and in, in just under just over to, uh, like 26 months, so a little over two years. And from there, I've basically founded four companies, had three, you know, small exits. And, uh, and then now have joined Humantic, um, leading their sales team. Uh, and, uh, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And so now I've got, uh, you know, small sales team and, um, you know, they're, we're all fully remote. So that's, you know, creates some challenges and, you know, like most people right now in, in the end of the Q4 with current market, you know, I don't think anybody finished the year the way that they were hoping. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, are starting to plan for, for 2023, which is what I think a lot of people are doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a couple of, couple of things in there that I want to delve into. And one of them will be sales planning and, and managing a remote team. Cause I know a lot of sales leaders, particularly now, especially what's happened over the last couple of years with COVID, a lot of organizations have completely turned upside down their business model. Um, and sales is, is certainly one of those. The other part I want to delve into be, just before we explore any further is this concept of sales. And, and you mentioned before you had to unlearn a lot of stuff. You had you said yeah. you had the commission breath um, conversation happening. And, and you, know, you think about when people think about the best, uh, the best occupation you could possibly ever have, sales is probably not in the top 10. <laughs> no, no. Right? Uh... So... So from your perspective, um, having been in sales and gone through that that hard slog and the commission sales only sort of sort of play, how do you look at sales now? Um, and how and what do you say to people who who maybe look at that and say, you know what, sales is sales is the type of role you only get when you can't qualify for anything else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, the, I would say that the biggest difference, you know, is just a mindset shift, right? From that sort of always be closing mentality to always be helping, you know, and, and more of a, more of a servant mindset, you know, serving people, uh, is really the core of, of a good salesperson, you know, helping your prospects solve whatever it is that's most important to them mm. that hopefully maybe aligns with your product. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, um, but some of those bad habits that I had to unlearn was just, you know, it's just that typical pushy, you know, salesperson that was very transactional, um, and, you know, as I sort of progressed in my sales career, you know, starting to, you know, be more strategic and, and go after bigger deals, realizing that, you know, uh, there's a lot more 
there's a lot more than just, you know, getting the sale, you know, knowing how to navigate with multiple stakeholders and, and, and basically, you know, create, you know, solutions and, and things like that and be more strategic and more of equals, you know, at the table. Um, a lot of those are skills that you can kind of evolve, you know, at, as your sales career, you know, uh, progresses. Yeah. And so, some of those bad habits, you know, I think are still a big problem in a lot of sales organizations today. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good work to say, hey, wake up. There is a better way to do this. It doesn't have to feel so sleazy. You know, it doesn't have to have such a bad rap. I mean, it's really so bad that, you know, people will try to say they do anything but sales, right? Yeah. And you see these yeah. fancy, you know, technology advisors and solution <laughs> consultants. And, you know, they, they don't want to just say they're a salesperson, <laughs> you know, um, because frankly, a lot of people don't want to talk to salespeople anymore. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, it's, as you mentioned before, there's a lot of unlearning that has to be done. And I think because of the way society has looked at that, and maybe maybe salespeople were like that back in the day, um, it doesn't have to be like that. In fact, my, my whole philosophy around sales is it's the ultimate form of service. And if you said before, always be helping rather than always be closing. If you can look at a, a prospect and, and think, well, I've got, I've got a problem that I can identify here. And maybe just maybe if I can articulate this problem in a way that resonates with that person, they think, wow, I've never thought about that, 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 that way before. Maybe they'll think that I've got a solution that can be able to solve that problem rather than me pushing a product onto that particular prospect because most people think they've got the best product, right? And most people therefore focus on the product. And when you hear salespeople talk, it's all about the product. It's all about the service. It's a lot less about the prospect or the customer. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, and that's a mind shift change for a lot of people because that's not, uh, that's not what the majority of the sales training is teaching folks, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's all about, uh, and I, I love this one. It's overcome objections, right? Let's, let's give yeah. you the five techniques to overcome <laughs> oh, objections man. and yeah. salespeople. And you listen to them on the telemarketing calls. They, they, if the customer says this, use this script. If they say that, use this. And it's a case yeah. of don't do it. Don't do any of that. Have a conversation. There's nothing you need yep. to overcome. You just need to handle that. And if the customer's giving you objection, that's a sign that they actually care. Yeah. I mean, I don't even like to call them objections. They're questions, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, even just calling it an objection itself is like something that you have to, you know, combat, you know, and it already has like, it already creates this, this friction, right? And we want to get our, our, our prospects out of that zone of resistance, you know, and, and not with friction and just have some high quality business conversations to explore if there's some good work that we can do together. Yeah. And, sure. you know, and, and, you know, it's helpful to know how to address, you know, those questions or those concerns rather. Um, but thinking that there's this, you know, sort of silver bullet response of how to tackle particular things, you're dealing with people. We're dealing with human beings and humans are just too dynamic to think that there's only one way to respond to what, you know, these folks like to call objections. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested in your think thought on this as well in terms of um, as a sales person and certainly as a sales leader, the concept of removing yourself from the pressure of having to get an outcome. 
So, for example, yeah. going into a conversation and not putting pressure on yourself to say, hey, I've got Colin in front of me. He's an ideal customer of mine. I've got to close him, right? Because if I don't close him on this call, he's going to go away and, and I'm not going to be able to get to him again, right? Um, your thought on that in terms of removing the pressure of having to get it right. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is really just detaching from the outcome, right? Yeah. And focusing on what you can control, right? What you can control is you can show up, you can be honest, be authentic, you know, be helpful, um, ask good questions, be curious, you know, and see if maybe uh, it's a good fit to spend a little bit more time together and explore doing business, right? Mm-hmm. I think too, too early, a lot of sellers, you know, here, a good example is like inbound leads. A lot of people treat inbound leads with a lot of assumptions because they think that they're already further down the path. We can skip some steps. You're ready to buy. Let's go. And you know that's a big problem because they typically skip really crucial discovery components uh, of the business relationship. And then let's say you know outbound. You know people are you know outbound top of funnel prospecting. Uh, they go into it of like I got to book the meeting. Got to book mm-hmm. the meeting. And the real goal is to have some conversations, get some conversations started. Yeah. And maybe that results in doing business together. Maybe it doesn't. And you know that's that's part of the challenge because then you get into this place where it's very easy. And I've done it before. I've been there where sellers tie their self-worth to their number and the results. And then when you don't get that meeting or you, know, you don't get that result that you're looking and you're not able to detach from that, it's really stressful. Yeah, it is. It is. And it doesn't help. You might have a sales leader or a senior executive looking over your shoulder saying, why didn't you get that meeting? You've done X number of calls this week and you got no meetings. What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely doesn't help when you have a micro managing manager or sales boss. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go as far to call somebody like that a leader. <laughs> no, no, no way. That's being that's being uh, disparaging to leaders, unfortunately. Yeah, there's a big difference. You know, there's a big difference between a great leader and you know a, a sales boss or you know manager. Absolutely. So you mentioned before you and your wife started an organization and, and grew it to five million in 26 months. Um, and you're now sort of working with Hamantech. Uh love, love your, I guess, your take and your experience on and whether this is relevant or not, in terms of your experience with sales leaders, I don't know growing a business, you are the, you are the sales leader, yeah. but your experience in working with sales leaders in the roles that you do, and I know you run a podcast as well called the Sales Transformation Podcast, um, your take on sales leadership today in 2022, moving into 2023, and how do you think it's evolved over the last you know four or five years? Yeah, I think I think the big thing, um, you know, great leaders today um, understand that I'd say there's one key thing that makes a big difference between a great sales leader um, is is this one thing, and it is that you can't lead everybody the same, yeah. and that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. There's no one size fits all for leadership. Again, you know, we're we're dealing with people. And people are just too darn dynamic, right? And let's, you know, maybe you have some really high D personalities on your your team and and, and there's going to be some similarities there, but, you know, what motivates them, what drives them, you know, what their North Star are, is, all that's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And so how you motivate your team, I mean, you, you know, how you keep them motivated is going to be very different. 
um, and you know, how you approach them about certain things, depending on their personality types, things that are, you know, most important to them, uh, is going to be different. And that's hard being able to really change. And, and, and I think the key is whatever they came in with, you know, on day one, you got to check in regularly mm-hmm. and make sure that, uh, is that still the case? Like we're still working towards this goal or, you know, whatever that is, you know, has the, has the runway changed? That's a really important piece to leadership today. And, you know, checking in with your team regularly is important because especially with more folks working from, you know, remote, you're not able to see, you know, what their mood's like, they're in the office, you're passing by, stuff like that. Um, so creating some space for, for that I'm the type of leader that likes to also get in the trenches with the team. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, maybe we're going to test this new ICP. Maybe we're going to test this new messaging. Maybe we have a, a new target, you know, that we're going to go after. Uh, let's do it together. I don't know if yeah. it's going to work. I don't know if uh, we're going to make some changes, whatever the case is. Um, but just, you know, uh, being, being in the trenches with the team helps build a lot of respect. Um, and I think that that's really important for leaders today. Uh, especially with, you know, things being a little bit tougher with market conditions uh, than than previously. Absolutely. Now you mentioned something really interesting there is um, leading from the trenches. And it's a a thing we do a lot in Australia as well. And and I'll be interested in your take on this because I've seen a lot of sales leaders literally lead from the trenches. And we've talked about this um, just earlier today. The fact that many sales people who are great sales people end up getting the, the, the privilege of being anointed as a sales manager, sales leader, but they can't differentiate themselves from the role because the skill set and the requirements are different. So leading from the trenches, I've seen a lot of sales leaders lead from the trenches, but do all the work for the salesperson. And in the process, they disintermediate the salesperson from the sale and therefore from the, the key customer. So it's the sales leader that ends up managing the relationship moving forward. So when you're talking about leading from the trenches, what are some things that as a leader we need to be thinking about so that we don't get into that situation where we are pushing our person, our salesperson to the side and we become the number one hedge, the number one head honcho? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the player coach role does create some some challenges, but I think you're gonna see more and more of those you know, now, um, especially with, you know, thins teams getting thinner and stuff like that, um, with a lot of layoffs and and that's, you know, kind of where we're at today. Um, I think you're going to see more hybrid sort of player coach type roles. Yeah. Um, and I think the key thing is, is, you know, let's say you're co-selling, working a deal together with your, with a seller on your team, which is what I think you're kind of hinting around. Um, you know, you're, you're there to support them, not, not, uh, not shine. Right. And let's say you have your own deals that you source and you have your own quota and you stuff and you work those, that's fine. And maybe you use those as opportunity for training and learning and stuff like that with your team. Um, but just getting in there and doing the job for your seller, um, is, is not going to do you or them a service, you know, Mm. um, it's the equivalent of giving, feeding them the answers versus helping them find them on their own. Right. You know, if perfect example is if you're doing a call review, right. Rather than saying, why, why did you say that? You should have said this, right. That's that sales leader. That's top performer. That's like, Hey, you should have said this. Cause that's what I would have said type of yeah. attitude, yeah. which doesn't work. 
Um, and also they're not going to retain that. Right. And it might not be the way that's, you know, they're going to feel most comfortable or confident doing it when that situation comes up again. Yeah. So really enabling them to be able to find the right answers, like maybe stopping and pausing and say, Hey, you know, do you think you maybe missed something there? Is there something that you, you could have maybe said differently? Um, cause a lot of times they know the answers. And mm -hmm. so giving them the answers is, is not going to serve them well, shining outshining them in, in, in sales, you know, calls, uh, is also not going to do them well. You are there. It, the, the difference is when you're a seller, you're there to serve your, your prospect, right? Your client, your buyer. Um, when you're a sales leader, and especially if you're in this hybrid sort of player coach, you're there to support your seller. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the attitude that a good sales leader needs to take, um, in that type of situations. It's a good answer. And I think uh, what, what I'm hearing there is we've got to be really crystal clear as a sales leader, what our role is in that particular um, opportunity, but also look for opportunities where we can build up the salesperson in the eyes of the customer so we don't actually create a rod for our own back where we have to be the go-to person for that, right? But it's equally important for us to be visible to our salesperson because if we then share uh, and lead by example, then there's probably things that we can help them develop in terms of their independence so that when we're not there, they can continue the good habits because of what we've what we've done together. Yeah. And, and I would say one of the biggest problems that I think a lot of sales organizations have is, is you know, everybody thinks the boss or the manager or the sales leader um, is, is just too busy, right? So making sure that you're letting them know you're available, you're there, your door's open, whether that's in an office or virtually or whatever the case is, yeah. making time, creating space where they don't feel like it's a burden to reach out or ask for some help or, you know, get, get a meeting scheduled with you to, to review something or whatever yeah. the case is. Um, you know, and that means managing your time well as a seller, especially if you, you know, live in a, uh, player coach role where you also have your own sales deals and hmm. that you're working and, and so on, uh, manage your time. Well, create space, block it on your calendar, um, to make time for your team so you can yeah. properly support them. Absolutely. Because that also in the process starts to build trust and reliability and independence because you'll they'll start to see the things you're doing and, and you've now got confidence that when you're not there, the right habits are going to be formed. And what should happen is the results should start to flow if they're making the right progress and developing yeah, the right and, behaviors. Yep. And and here's a big one. Here's a big one too is is you're also a human, right? And uh you're gonna make mistakes. Yes. as a sales leader, you know, nobody likes a sales leader that thinks they're right all the time or has all the answers all the time, you know, be transparent, be authentic, be vulnerable, right? Let them know that that's okay. Um, because when they make a mistake or need some help and need to own up to something, you want them to be able to come to you. Um, and if you are the one that's made a mistake or dropped the ball on something or just totally screwed something up, mm. you know, it, it, admit that just be, be straight with them, be honest, you know, um, cause you're going to make mistakes and yeah. nobody expects you to be perfect, but when you pretend that you are, uh, it creates a bad culture. In Australia, we call those sort of people, um, at the, at the risk of swearing super wankers. <laughs> yeah. Cause they can yeah, never I'll admit they're you, wrong. I'll start using that one. <laughs> they always think their, their SH1T doesn't, doesn't stink and they can never admit to making a mistake. It's all about them. This is what I've done. This is how we do it. No, no, be vulnerable and be prepared to be authentic. 
Because the other thing yeah. I talk about all the time as sales leaders is, you know, whether you're out with your team or whether they're just watching you or they're in their environment, they're always watching what you're doing. They're listening for what you're saying and watching what you're doing, but also listening for what you're not saying and watching what you're not doing. Because whatever we say, whatever we say is important, they're going to be thinking, okay, Colin said this. Now I'm going to watch him and I'm going to see whether there's consistency between what he's done and what he said. If there's a match, great. If there's not a match, it's like, oh, question mark starts to form. Mm. So when I'm out with you, I'm now I've now got a little bit of a um, a question mark over. Hmm, I need I need to tread carefully because if I if I make a mistake, I might get chastised, um, or what have you. So it's a, it's a really interesting point. Yep, yep. You you your your words got to match your actions, and if you're not perfect, that's totally understandable. Um, and, and it's actually a great way to 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 build um, you know, bonds with your team and, and, and to, you know, be, uh, vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I messed up Mm. and, uh, here's what I should have done. And here's what I'm gonna do differently or whatever the case is. So, you know, I think that's, you got to get your ego out of the way, um, and just be a good human. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what it comes down to. Don't think of yourself as a salesperson or a sales leader, just be a good person. Yeah. Know what you stand for. Now, um, Talking about in the trenches, and I know the last couple of years for many organizations, it's forced changes to the way we're structured. There's a lot of opportunity now for people who are not necessarily in the same geographical location to work for an organization and still be effective. From from a perspective of, of, of working and leading the team from the trenches, what would you say to people now who are leading a remote team? And you mentioned before you've got a fully mm-hmm. remote team. Um, mm-hmm. how, do, how does a sales leader do that effectively when you're not in the same geographical location? What are some tips and yeah. tricks that, um, that you've seen work? Yeah, I think, you know, making time um, to do things together as a team, you know, whether that, that's a call blitz, you know, whether that's having a little bit of fun, um, maybe some education enablement stuff. So, making an effort to schedule those type of things quite regularly, I think is, is very important. Um, and, and have some consistency around it. Cause if you don't schedule it, um, you know, it's going to get missed. It's, you know, other things are going to get scheduled. Um, and then ultimately you're just kind of relying on everybody to just do their job with very minimal support. So know what it is that you, you and your team need, uh, to succeed. Uh, it starts with a good sales plan, right? You know, I think a lot of people are looking at their sales plan right now. Your sales plan can, you know, have everything from your mission, vision, and plan, how you're going to execute the plan, um, you know, present that in a, in, in a way where the whole team is bought into what that plan is. Um, and you know, the plan is not something you have to be totally tied and married to. If you, you know, Jan one, here's the plan. Things can change. You can, if you need to, you know, the plan could have some hypothesis in there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and maybe things shift, maybe your ICP changes, maybe, you know, you have a new product launch, maybe um, some strategic things change, whatever the case is, you know, you should be reviewing that plan, making any changes um, and making sure that everybody's bought in and rowing in the same direction. I think that's a big piece. Um, I think that, you know, if you can make time to do in-person stuff, uh, definitely do that. You know, I know it's hard depending on where, you know, I mean, these days people are everywhere, right? So it could be a few States away. It could be different country. Like, you know, uh, it it could be harder to pull off. Um, but if you can at least, at least once a year, make time to do that. Maybe it's, Hey, we're going to go do an event. 
we're all going to meet up at the event, go have fun at the event, you know, maybe a little, little work and play, um, you know, to kind of maximize the, you know, being able to do both things, uh, you know, and also be able to meet up in person. Uh, but yeah, making time to meet in person, having a good sales plan, reviewing that regularly, making changes, um, and then scheduling those things quite regularly. Um, whether it's, you know, sales and enablement, things to have fun, uh, as well as, you know, coaching sessions, call blitz, whatever it is, consistently having things that you're doing together as a team, uh, even though it's remote. Because it's a, it's a good point you make because in the, in an office environment, you've got the water cooler opportunity to talk. You've got the ad hoc opportunity to walk past somebody's desk and have a conversation about an opportunity or drag somebody in and do a bit of a bit of a strategy session, whatever the case might be. When you don't have that opportunity because we're remote, you've got to be more intentional. So you've got to almost think, how do I actually continue to engage with my team? How do I be more intentional when I engage them? And how can I bring fun to the, to the table as often as possible? So you have to probably be even more focused on how do I create this environment rather than just let it flow as you might do when you're yeah. in an office environment. Yeah. I mean, in office, you can't just say, Hey, Darren, let's go grab lunch today, you know, and, and spend well, a We can have a virtual yourself. coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can do it virtually. Hey, um, I'm eating lunch at 12. You want to join me? You know, that's it. Um, nothing wrong with, you know, put, putting your sandwich back on, on a zoom call with your team. <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only challenge is sometimes the time difference is uh, significant given that um, it's uh it's afternoon time in LA right now and morning time in Melbourne. So it's, um, you're eating sandwiches. I've just finished breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, coffee, we could do coffee, right? Coffee or tea or whatever, something, make some time just, you know, or beer. Uh, do beer for your team. Yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So from that, cause I, I think moving forward, there's a lot of organizations that are going to have more and more of their teams remote. Um, whether that be, in the same country or in different countries. And we've just got to get used to the yeah. fact that you're not necessarily going to have your sales team in the same office, which is forcing sales leaders now to think differently. And for many sales leaders that have been used to the in-person interaction, they're going to have to get out of their comfort zone and explore a new world. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, 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 is there's actually, there's actually a lot of people that prefer it. Mm. You know, there's a lot of benefits for some people if they used to have to commute and now yeah. they have extra time to, you know, be with their family or take their kids to school or exercise or do things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think more people are starting to get to the office. feels like more people are kind of settling on sort of a hybrid type model. Yeah. Um, but there's benefits. There's a lot of benefits from, from having a remote team. Um, because if they're people that can work well remote, the, then, you know, there might be some advantages for them where they get to do things that they wouldn't be able to do if they had to commute to an office back and forth. Yeah. Um, also it, it opens up the opportunity, uh, to expand your talent pool. You know, That's if you're it. a company that was pretty much always any, everybody in the office in the same, you know, geographical area, and then you open it up to the entire United States or even mm. other countries, um, you know, you can tap into talent that, you know, was people you would have never considered before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk about commute. I, um, I, I do a lot of remote stuff now and I've been forced to over the last two years because of COVID, but I live about an hour north of Melbourne in Australia. So uh, I had to go to a meeting, an hour meeting in the city. And by the time I, from the door to door, from the time I left, had an hour meeting in the city, time I got home again, five and a half hours for a one hour <laughs> meeting. <laughs> 
right? And normally it takes about 45 minutes to drive to the city. Now I'm driving home and I'm thinking, man, if I was a salesperson driving through this traffic and I had a I had a KPI where I had to do X number of meetings per day and I'm in this traffic, I would go nuts. So in that situation, yeah. I was thinking, hang on, I could be a lot more effective being remote, using power of Zoom and things like that to do as many calls, if not more calls, but still have time left over to do the things that I'd like to do, right? And it's just yeah, without yeah. the stress, without the stress. So um, I think remote's going to continue to to be bigger and bigger as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. So um, pivoting there, because you also mentioned the sales plan. And I know this time of year, um, sales planning is, is, well, there's two things. One is a lot of organizations, particularly for those organizations who have their financial year finishing at the end of December, they're scrambling to get every single uh, piece of business they can in. But they've also got to have one eye on what the what the first quarter is going to look like. So from a sales planning point of view, uh, you mentioned it before, a lot of organizations, a lot of sales leaders are starting to think about this. From your perspective as a sales leader, um, what are some key key things to look for and to put in place for a, sale, for a sales plan so that we give ourselves the best opportunity of a fast start? Now, put a caveat on this, right? And for those of you listening, I've worked for some big organizations and those big organizations were notorious for not having the sales plan ready until at least halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> So we want to we want to put that to the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the mid year sales plan. Oh my uh, god. Um, yeah. So I mean, if you're if you're if you're a sales leader, and you know, you should have the sales plan ready before Jan one. Like, yeah. I mean, I get it. People are trying to you know finish Q four strong, trying to slam deals in, trying to you know grind it out. But like, let's be real. Whatever is going to close is going to close. There's a lot of stuff out of your control. Um, you know, could you create some fake urgency and throw some discounts to get some more deals in? Maybe. Um, but right now, I think people that are in a good place um, are already planning for, for Q1 well, yep. you know, and part of that is your your sales plan. And so one, I think it starts with a review, reviewing everything that you did the previous year, what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, what messaging, you know, needs to be fine-tuned, you know, is there some new ICPs we want to, you know, test out? Um, is there ones that are really working well for us that we need to double down on? Um, what are those, you know, buyer persona profiles? Do we need to tweak any of that? So your buyer personas, I think is a really good place to start really nailing that, seeing if there's anything that any fine-tuning on that. And it could be small things like maybe we, uh, do best with buyers that have this specific personality type, yeah. you know, and I'll use that example because that's what we do at Humantic. And it's, it's very common that a lot of times we see, you know, organizations typically have a certain type of personality um, that they're most likely to win with, or yeah. that are tend to be early adopters of what it is that they do. Um, so, so that's some things that you can add in there, or maybe, you know, you typically are, you, you're seeing that you're a, a higher win rate with, companies that have a more mature tech stack, you know, so, you know, refining the ICP to everything that you've already learned before and had previously, but also companies that are using these, you know, potentially these set of tools. Um, so those are some things to look at. Um, anything that, you know, anything that you were doing previously that wasn't working that you can get rid of, you know, that's something you can, you can add to the the sales plan and, and really looking across all departments, right? 
your full, you know, go to, go to market, right? So marketing, sales, um, you know, customer success, all of that support. Um, and then, you know, it's a good, it's a good opportunity to review your tech stack, right? What are we using today? You know, what's the user adoption been on those? Are they driving the results that we were hoping from? Is there any new tools that we might need? Is there yes. some that we could possibly get rid of? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you see a lot of people refining the tech stack a little bit, right? A lot of times, a lot of these tools where you could have, you know, three solutions, you can ha- now have one and it does everything that the three did, mm. you know? So you're seeing a lot of that now. Um, so looking at your tech stack is also um, a good thing to do, um, you know, and then positioning, messaging, anything, you know, tweaks and changes you want to make on that, um, you know, and then you get into the go- the good stuff of all your you know, goals, uh, strategy, action plan, all that sort of stuff. So all the numbers, you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the sales plan can be, you know, pretty, pretty detailed, very vast. Um, I think the key is, is not waiting till the last minute to do it, not waiting till, you know, at the very end on the 31st, uh, to then start tackling this, you know, the sooner you can present this to your team, um, get their feedback, get their buy-in, uh, and, and then you can, you know, be on to a good start in Q1 and not be, yeah. you know, a week, two weeks or a month behind into yeah. your sales plan. Yeah. And it's a good point. And, and obviously the numbers in there and the targets and whether the organization is ready to give you the numbers or not is, is irrelevant. But as a sales leader, what I found always important is to, to have some sort of goal to set for ourselves and make it a, make it an aspirational goal. So I have a question for you. Time. Yeah. I have a question for you. What's your take on this? Cause I know there's leaders that sit on different sides of the fence, right. Yeah. With a, with a buff, a buffer, right. So you have your number, you got to give your numbers to your, your team, your, your frontline managers, you know, um, what's your thoughts? Do you give them the real number or do you, do you allow for a buffer to make sure you hit the number? Um, I give them the real number, but then I say this is this is a ceiling. I want you to think about this as a ceiling, all right? Because I don't know any salesperson. We, and first of all, we know the sales number is always going to go up, right? I don't tell me tell me an organization that's actually had their sales number go down, and I'll tell you an show you an organization that hasn't been successful. So we know that's always going to go up, right? I also know that salespeople are very conservative, and they want the smallest number possible. <laughs> and maybe this is my experience, right? But having worked with hundreds, if not thousands of sales leaders over the years, I know also that we can put limits on ourselves. And when you look at the statistics of salespeople and sales teams, when a target is set, the majority sit within plus or minus 5 10% of that number, right? So it's almost like a thermostat. So whatever the number is, the number is. I try to actually say, well, this is the lid. Let's think about what we could achieve. And I'll try to set it even higher than that, right? Now, some are on board, some are not. But I don't want I don't want that number to be a limit. I don't also want that number to be a demotivator. So I'm always yeah. going to be passing a number on. But I'm going to say, don't think about this number as a uh, something far yeah. out that we can't achieve. Think about something that we're passing through. Right? We can do better than this. So it's about and and what I do is is also talk about the fact that it's not it's not the number. It's it's the progress, and you talked about it before. It's the plan. Do we have the right things in place? Do we have the right strategy? Yep. Um, are we making the right progress? So let's start measuring now on the progress that we're making, not necessarily fixated on the goal that we need to achieve. 
because that can put so much pressure on people because then it's a case of, well, we're well, going to hit it or we're not. And if we hit it, great. If we're not, does that mean we're a failure? No. Mm. It doesn't mean we're a failure, but look at what we're making progress. So, those, so from my point of view, there's a whole lot more than just the number that goes into the sales plan. But that's a long way away, a long, round, a long way around of answering the question <laughs> by saying, I'll just give them the number. <laughs> no, I think it I think that it 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 needed some explanation, right? Cuz yeah, there's there's uh there's some sales leaders that just always give a 10-20% buffer, you know, and that's not that uncommon. And yeah. you know, you're lying to your team. That's it. The the number's the number, right? Whether you like it or not, the number's the number. Who you can argue whether the number's correct, you can argue as to what the method was to get the number but the number is the number. There's nothing you can do about that. Now we've got to focus on what do we have control over? What we've got control over is what we do today and what we do tomorrow and what process we're going to put in place to build momentum. Because if we build momentum, guys, guess what? The number's going to take care of itself. Yeah. I mean, the best way to explain it is, hey, if you put as much energy into going to hit this number as you are trying to fight me on the number, you probably smashed through that number. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. So, uh, yeah, and and that's a bit that's a big one actually because a lot of and even today working with a lot of sales teams, they're so fixated on the number, and their sales leaders are running running daily cadence, particularly at this time of year. What's your forecast, right? Thinking that the forecast today is going to change compared to the forecast yesterday, and hoping over the last twenty four hours. There's been some sort of miracle. Well, as you said before, Colin, it's the, the, the things that are going to close are going to close. Sometimes you can't control that. What we don't want to do, and this is what I really dis dislike, I don't want to see yeah. organizations come in with a discounting strategy and say, hey, what if we knocked another 15 points off? Would that would that incentivize you to uh, to close the deal before the end of the calendar year? What does that do? It says to the customer, oh, when the time pressure's on, I know that if I just hold back a little bit, they're going to come to me with more, more discounts, which means the balance of power now sits with the customer. So when yeah. we're into the next financial year and we're wanting to do some business, what are they going to be thinking? Because we're conditioning them on how to treat us. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is I'm not an anti-discount person, but that example that you gave is horrible, right? Hmm. And depending on who you're dealing with, it actually works against you, right? Because if they, they think, wow, they're trying to create some fake urgency and pressure for me to buy. Yeah. And maybe you're just a slower paced person and you need a little bit more time. You've already told them you don't have budget till Q1, whatever the mm. case is. It's not a priority at the moment. You got something else. You're not listening to them, right? Yeah. They didn't, and a lot of times people are giving discounts out and they never even got a price objection. You know, I'm not opposed to giving discounts when it makes sense and when there's a good reason, right? Mm. That good reason could be they literally don't have the budget. You know, yeah. maybe they're going up against you and you're going up, you know, they're they're selecting between you and some other people and they really want to work with you and they're giving you some good feedback. Hey, if you were here, we could probably, you know, do business together. And yeah. that might look like, you know, if you're asking for a concession, that might mean we need a longer term or we got to yeah. revise the scope a little bit, or you're going to have to commit to doing a case study or, you know, getting your team to write us some G2 reviews. Like, you know, give a discount for a good reason, yeah. but don't use it as a reason to create fake urgency when there was no price objection in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, that's just cheap. 
And that's that's not what we want yeah. to do. We do not want to do that. Yeah. So I hope I hope I answered the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, awesome. Awesome. Hey, I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more more about uh, Humantech. So I, I checked out before we jumped on. I checked out the little YouTube video that that talks a little bit about it, which is a, a funky kind of uh, one and a half minute video, which is which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, because when you think about Humantic and it's Humantic AI, right? So yep. Um, yep. I know AI is becoming bigger and bigger around the world. Um, can you just give us a bit of a sense of what Humantic is? Because your role as a chief evangelist. And uh, that role potentially is changing. If you want to let us let us know what the, what's going to happen there, if that's unless that's yeah, confidential. So, but... um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going to be joining them as head of sales here in the in the new year. But and, and people always kind of ask like, what is a chief evangelist? And I'm like, I'm a sales dude without a quota. Um, <laughs> and so that's like the easiest way to explain it. Um, but but basically, yeah, what we do is we help sales teams be more authentic and personalize the entire sales process. So. Uh, giving them insights into the personalities of their buyers so they can personalize all the way from top of funnel to closing to sell the way that their buyers want to buy. And so that's what we do at Humantic. And uh, we're doing some great work. We're seeing some uh, amazing results. You know, teams seeing things like 236% increase in positive replies on outbound, um, you know, increase in in close rates anywhere from 7.2 to 10%. Uh, so, so some really incredible stuff that we're seeing, you know, in current customers and pilots and, uh, looking forward to, to leading the sales team full-time there in January. Nice. And when you, when you talk about getting the personal side of your prospects, that obviously presupposes that your prospects have information that's readily available <laughs> to, be able to, to then pull that kind of information in. Yeah. And, and, in in the B2B space specifically, typically that's, you know, not a problem, um, you know, we basically resolve from either email or LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, so LinkedIn or Twitter URL or email address, we resolve there. Um, LinkedIn and Twitter is like eight, you know, uh, nine out of 10 times we're going to resolve and, and have, you know, good inf- enough information to give you insights. Yeah. Uh, email is a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, there is some tricky, you know, ICPs and ones where it's a little bit, uh, harder, uh, but we also have like a confidence score. So we can tell you like, hey, we're 100% confident that this is Darren and this is his personality and this is how you're going to win with Darren. Um, or if, you know, you didn't have a, a big digital footprint, um, you know, then we might say this, we're only we're only about 67% sure here that this is this is Darren. Um, but there's some ways to plug plug some data in there and get it more confident. So giving giving sales teams a bit more, I guess, customized data on the prospective person they're going to be talking to so they can customize their approach rather than just use the cookie cutter approach that they've been taught in probably every single sales training they've been to in their career, thinking think, thinking about things differently and thinking about, okay, what's what's the hot button? What type of personality type? Is this person a high D on disc or are they a low low C or whatever the whatever the case might be? And adjusting your style based on is that is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So everything from, you know, how to structure emails, how to prospect traps to avoid, you know, winning mantra, you know, what's going to, 
you know, perfect example is, you know, high D people, uh, relationships aren't going to win. You know, it's not that relationships aren't important. They're just not going to make business decisions based solely on relationship only. That's it. Um, where with an I, high I, it's the exact opposite, you know, pleasantries, rapport, small talk, relationships are highly a priority when making business decisions. So those are like complete opposites. And a lot of sellers are showing up the way that they would want somebody to show up if they were on the other side of the table, right? So my default is I'm going to show up the way that I would want to be sold to if I was a buyer. But the problem with that is, is unfortunately not everybody's like you. So it only works when you're dealing with people similar to yourself. And so just knowing those simple things, is this an ROI driven person? Is this a relationship driven person? It's just going to change the things that I say, the things that I focus on and give me some pointers around what to avoid as well. Um, yeah. Because there's some things, you know, that are sort of those traps or sales landmines, as we like to call them. Yes. And many, many people step on those and many people put their foot in their mouth <laughs> and many people <laughs> sell after the close and we don't want to be doing that. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a big <laughs> no, no. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Colin, I know the, the we're wrapping up. I know you've got only a bit more time left, but um, I also notice you're a, you're a podcaster as well. And um you're the uh, well top one percent sales podcast that drops daily episodes, sales transformation podcast. So uh, I always like to give people a plug on the on the podcast. So people who are interested in knowing a little bit more about Colin, um, where's the best best place to find more information about you, uh, and how can they get access to the podcast? Yeah, so every podcast platform, uh, sales transformation, we drop daily episodes, ten minutes or less, to help transform the way people sell. Um, you can check it out there. Uh, LinkedIn is a, is a great place as well. Um, and then if anybody's curious about, you know, Humantic, uh, they can just go to humantic.ai, um, download a free trial and, you know, run some, some profile searches on some, uh, potential prospects or deals that you're engaged in, um, some very powerful stuff there to help you out as a seller. Brilliant. Brilliant. Colin, absolutely love the uh, the conversation. Thanks for jumping on jumping on at this late stage of the year. Uh, if you if there was one thing to leave the listeners in terms of finishing the year strong, but more importantly, starting the year strongly as a salesperson or as a sales leader, what would be your number one key piece of advice? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, we're December nineteenth when we're recording this. You know, so not a lot of sales days left. Um, I think right now you just got to be looking ahead and really nailing that sales plan to make sure that you go into 2023 strong. Yeah. Brilliant. Love it. All right. Thanks very much for uh, jumping on the podcast. It's been an awesome conversation and uh, we'll have to do this again, mate, especially when you uh, take over as the chief head of sales of Humantic. Yeah. Thanks Love for the conversation, me. mate. All the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.